0: I'm Michael Mann. Um, I'm a senior at University of Georgia, but I'm not a Georgia fan. I'm an Auburn fan, so just keep that straight. Um, a couple days ago, Bill Hughes asked me just to share kind of um, some things that have been going on in my life over kind of the past semester. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and just jump right into that. Um, I tend to ramble, so hopefully that won't happen tonight. Um, but we'll see what happens. But um, really, like, over the past couple of months, um, some different things, um, kind of crazy things have gone on in my life. Um, but I think, like, Overall, this past semester, the main thing, really, that God's been showing me and leading me in um, is just learning and gaining a new understanding um, of the gospel and, like, what the gospel is. Um, I think a lot of times, especially, like, I can't speak for you all, but in my life, I read the Bible and I read about, like, Jesus and the gospel and grace and ideas like this, and I don't really think about, like, what the gospel is or, like, what grace is or, like, what it means on my life. Um, So just getting into that, I think that, like, after really looking through um, the Gospels and all the, you know, books later on in the New Testament that Paul wrote, um, I think really, like, that the Gospel says that, like, apart from Jesus, like, on my own, naturally, um, in my own human nature, I'm really, like, not a very good person. <laughs> like, not at all. Um, I'm really, if I look at, like, my life um, and just, like, the decisions I make on my own without Christ, um, I'm pretty selfish. Um, quite frankly, I'm very wicked. Um, I'm, you know, like the Bible would say, a sinner, um, and really on my own, I'll do anything like to build Michael's kingdom. Um, that's the third person that's me, but, but like I'll do anything just, you know, to get, get myself ahead. I'll take advantage of other people, you know, not love others. I'll do this or that just to get my own, get mine, invest in my own kingdom, um, on my own. Um, a lot of times I like to think, you know, when I don't really think through things that I'm a pretty good person on my own morally and things like that. Um, But even when I look at this past semester, I've been looking at even like the good deeds I do, like the loving things I do in the community or like for this or that person. Um, And a lot of times there's like selfish motives behind that, like even wanting to impress people or, you know, get this or that, like our girl's attention and stuff like that. Um, So I think that's what the gospel like says about me. Um, And that's not very good news. But the good news, really, of the gospel, um, this is what I've been living in a semester, is that God still loves me right and still has given me grace even in my you know wickedness and imperfections he still extends that grace to me um it doesn't really make sense like it's not deserved I don't earn it or anything like that but but um that's what he extends to me um, not because of who I am but as we all know just because of Jesus um and the fact that he loves me you know enough to give grace is something that really really blows my mind <clears throat> um but there's also a lot of freedom in that um And don't hear me saying that, you know, because I know I'm not naturally a good person and God gives me grace, that means I can do whatever I want. That's not what I'm saying at all. Um, But I think God's grace gives me a freedom to really love others, to really love Christ because he has loved me. Um, God's given me everything I need. I'm taken care of. Like, my identity's in him. He's invested, you know, all this love and grace in his son's life in me. Um... So I don't have to earn anything. I'm not trying to, you know, do anything like that. I'm, I'm free really to live um, radically for him, to love, you know, others, to, to share him. Not so I can earn anything again, but just as an overflow um, of kind of a worship um, just based on, on what he's already given me. Um, and there's, there's just so much freedom in that. Um, a friend of mine here recently told me, he said that religion says we perform so that we will be loved. But the gospel says we have already been loved by Christ. So then we are free to live for Christ and love the world around us. Um, and I think that's kind of our motivation behind the lives we lived. And um, like I said, there's so much freedom in that. Um, as many of you know, um, back in October, just a handful of months ago, um, my mom had been in a long battle of cancer and she passed away after that. Um, and that was pretty tough. Um, but just in that, just knowing that like the thought that like the God of the universe, like the God that created all of us in the world... Um, that he he deeply um, and intimately loves me, and he he intimately loves each one of you. Um, that's huge. Like there's so much um, freedom and identity in that, um, and I think um, that his love, you know, not just in our everyday lives is is manifested definitely in that, but also um, just in the gospel and the fact that he sent his son to die for us. Um, there's so much love and grace in that, um, and I think I think the gospel and grace is. Is why Jesus says in Matthew 11, um, <clears throat> Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Um, and just in closing, I just want to read off um, two verses of two of my favorite older hymns um, <clears throat> that I think really speak like towards the gospel. Um, and come thou found of every blessing... It says, here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I am come, and I hope by thy good pleasures safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. And then Charles uh, Wesley, in O oh for a Thousand Tongues to Sing, um, <clears throat> wrote, um, he breaks the power of canceled sin, he sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the phallus clean, uh, his blood availed for me. Um, and that's just what I want to share with you guys and what I've been learning um, this past semester is that um, God's blood can make the phallus clean. I mean, I know that's me. I'm, I know myself. I know my motives and my actions. I mean, and I'm definitely in that group of the phallus. Um, but, but God still loves and gives grace and his blood's is available for me. Um, and that gives such freedom um, just to live for Christ and love others um, in preparation for eternity. So that's what I got. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Michael. It's wonderful to see God working in your life. Any other college students feel so led? Gary, let's have our offertory again. Thank you.
2: I am grateful that so many of you young people have such a solid foundation in your faith. we're going to sing about that right now as we sing the solid rock will you please stand as we sing And thank you for promising that whenever we come together that you'll be here, God. And I just pray that as we give these offerings tonight, God, that our hearts will be cheerful and that we'll be glad to give to your kingdom, God. I pray that um, as we go out this week, God, our hearts will be on fire for you. In your own I pray. Amen. Lifting up my hand to sacrifice, oh Lord Jesus, turn your eyes upon me, for I know there is mercy in your sight. The statutes are my heritage forever, my heart is set on keeping your. Please still, my anxious search to warn me, failure. Let love keep my will upon its knees. Oh, God, you
3: are my God.
2: To, you. to all creation I can see a limit But your commands are boundless and have none For your word is my joy and meditation From the rising to the setting of the sun all your ways are loving and are faithful. The road is narrow, but your burden lies. Because you gladly lean to lead the humble. I shall gladly kneel to leave my pride. Oh
3: God, you are mine.
1: for sharing tonight. Just a few things I want to say, I guess directed to the college students, something I wanted to say for a long time, and uh, I guess it prompted by conversations Catherine and I have had these past few years while she's been away at college, and uh, how, how those classes that she takes and her Bible studies and relationships and conversations with friends have impacted her faith. Luke 10, 25 through 28. The message is entitled Love God with your mind. Luke 10:25 through 28 says, And behold a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And your neighbor is yourself. And he said to him, you have answered right. Do this, and you will live. Let's pray. Father, help us to love you with every facet of our being, every corner of our lives. Not just with our emotions and heart, not just with our strength, but love you with our minds too. And that means to study and to think and to reflect and to find out that in doing so our faith is deepened. Thank you for minds and the freedom to think because by so doing, We find ourselves drawing closer to thee. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, since this is college night at Christmas, I wanted us to think about loving God with our minds. The lawyer in this passage takes a slight variation on the Old Testament command, which is to love God. It comes from Deuteronomy 6. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. He quotes that command to Jesus and then he adds that we should also love God with our minds. The Old Testament does not distinguish between heart and mind because there is no need. The Hebrew idea of heart includes heart and mind as we think of them today. You know, we know human anatomy better than than they did 3,000 years ago, so we know where the heart is and we know what its function is. But they understood the heart to be the seat of everything in the human body, including the mind. The New Testament spells it out in order to make it even more specific, even clearer, lest there be any doubt, that we are to love God with our entire and our whole being. With all that we are and all that we have, we are to love the Lord our God with as much strength as we can muster in every area of our lives. Maybe you are a little bit like me. I learned in the warm glow of a Christian home to love God with my heart. I learned in revivals and church experience to love God with my soul. I've even learned through some bitter experiences and challenges in life to love God with my strength. But no one ever told me how to love God with my mind. It was not until I began studying the Bible in college and seminary that occurred to me that you could love God with your mind. And whether the idea of mind was in Deuteronomy 6 or not, if we have not loved God with our minds, we have not loved him with our whole being. The church is a unique place. It's not like any other organization to which you might belong because the church is a community of faith. and We have a Sunday school program and children's programs and youth programs dedicated to, to teaching our children how to, to, to learn the Bible and to study it and incorporate it into their lives. And combining that with worship services and your quiet time at home, you have the opportunity to love the Lord your God with all of your mind. Maybe in some religious, religion classes in college you've had the opportunity to look at God from a different perspective perhaps and love him with your mind. But what does it mean to love God with our minds? Jesus said, speaking of the commandment of love, do this and you shall live. He doesn't say feel this and you shall live. He says do this and you shall live. So love must be something that you do. And that contains a lot more truth than we realize. We always see love as just a feeling, just an emotion, but it calls for action. When Jesus spoke of the commandment of love, he said, do this and you will live. And, and the German um, philosopher Dietrich Bonhoeffer saw the response to God's love as being obedience. Feeling will follow the act of obedience rather than precede it. So if you do something, and keep doing, it. eventually the feeling will follow. A lot of people wait for the feeling and then act on it. But Bonhoeffer said, no, you start acting, and then emotions and feeling will follow. So to love God with our minds means to use our minds when we obey him. There is no approach to faith that says you can love God in church attendance, love God in prayer, love God in service to your neighbor, but allow your mind to waste away in inactivity for fear that you might think some dangerous thought. It's always been amazing to me that some of the brightest and sharpest thinkers who are Christians somehow shut down their minds when they walk into the church doors, afraid that they might think the unthinkable or unscrew the inscrutable and somehow lose their faith. But I have found that faith and hard thinking about that faith are not incompatible. As a matter of fact, I think they make each other stronger. Because I believe God is the source of truth. God is the author of truth. And the more we seek truth, the more, the closer we draw to him. Such fear of applying our minds to our faith is runs contrary to everything the Bible teaches because God is the God of our minds and he's the God of our thoughts. And with God's gift of a free and independent mind is the responsibility, the requirement to use it, to apply it. Thought and study are not optional for a Christian. They are requirements for Christian growth. And you heard what God was teaching Michael. That doesn't come from just glossing over scripture. It comes from from looking at it and studying it and thinking about it and reflecting on different passages and how they all come together and and what they say in culmination. It's by using our minds that we learn and we reflect and we analyze. We begin to love Him with every area of our lives. And that's what that's what one thing that we do here at church. There are a lot of things that that church does. We reach people with the gospel, yes, but we also want to see them grow in their Christian maturity by thinking about their faith and how that applies to their lives. So this can be a place of Bible study and worship where we learn to love God with our minds. You see, I think most of us live with sort of a hand-me-down religion. We would never admit it, but we would preach it tritely to others, and that's what it really is, because what we have incorporated is what important people around us have taught us to believe, our parents, our our children's minister, youth minister, pastor, whoever. Sometimes that works to our benefit, and sometimes it doesn't. But using our minds and incorporating our minds and loving God with our minds is a search for truth which becomes our own, the kind of truth we talk about in church. And when we think we discover truth, a wonderful thing happens. It's not just given to us. It's not just spoon-fed to us by someone else anymore, but for the first time in our lives, it becomes ours. We searched it, and we discovered it to be true for ourselves. In other words, after hours and days and weeks and years of study, a moment comes when something you have always thought was true, always you always assumed was true, really becomes true for you. I remember uh, the president at Southern Seminary, Duke McCall, held up his Bible. And he said, how much of this Bible is yours? And what he was getting at was until you take the pages of Scripture, until you study it and incorporate it into your life, it might be a Bible, but it's never your Bible until you make it your own. Not something that someone has handed you. Not something that someone has said, here, this is true. But but something you have taken and you have studied and you have thought about and discovered, you know what? It is. It's true for me. It has changed my life. Now I know that that those things that I was taught growing up, I know they're true for me. It's not a hand-me-down religion anymore. It's alive. It's something, it's a foundation that you can build your own faith on. And one day hand down to your children and then step back and watch with pride as they take those roots that you have given them and watch that, that faith grow and blossom as they make it their own. Your faith becomes alive because you have found it be, to be true for yourself and not something that was, just, that was just handed down by your parents or by a Sunday school teacher or by a minister. I got to thinking about this about a year and a half ago. Catherine called, and she was taking a, a class in college that involved uh, studying the Old Testament. And uh, we talked about some things, and, and uh, she was in the process of taking what she had learned growing up and some other things that she had read, some, some books, um, spiritual books, religious books, and how that incorporates into her own faith and into her own life. And it's been so exciting for me to to be able to step back and see that faith take root in her. All we could do was plant the seeds. But she has been able to cultivate it and nurture it for her own. And that involves risk. There's no love without risk. And one risk that you can run into is, is learning that, well, maybe something I've always assumed is true, maybe was not true after all. But if you can admit where you're wrong and discover where you're right, a wonderful thing happens. I had a friend of mine, William Benton. I talk about him often. He was pastor at First Baptist York. Died of cancer in 1993 at the age of about 42, just in the the apex of his ministry. He had a lot of wisdom in his youth. And he said, if you stubbornly think you already know it all, and aren't open to any growth and change, you're like a house with all the windows closed. If you don't know anything, and you don't know what to stand for, you're like a house with all the windows open. So it's important to know which windows to leave shut, and which windows to leave open. Some things we think are not necessarily infallible, We are human, and so we search for truth. Truth that Jesus promised would set us free. We need to not be afraid to admit our errors and absorb new truth. And since God is truth, he will always be there at the end of our search. He's there, and he's beckoning us forward. Trust me. Study. Think reflect, grow. He'll be there at the end of our search. Faith is not destroyed by discovering truth. It's deepened by it. God is still God, and he reaches down in his love through Jesus Christ, and he redeems me. And I'm human, and I don't understand everything by a long shot. And although I cannot always stand in the face of adversity, I know God still reaches down in his love and mercy and protects me. I can place my hand in his hand by faith and he lifts me up into a wonderful freedom that's created by truth. And in response to that, I can love him. When I was a young Christian, I love the Lord with all my heart. When I began studying the Bible, I love the Lord with all my strength. When I began intensive religious studies in college and seminary, I love the Lord with all my soul. But there is more to the verse now, and there is more to me, because I have learned that being a student of the Bible, you can love God with all your mind. And that means to study it, to pray over it, to ask God to open up its truth and teach you. That's why I love College Night at Christmas. That's why I think education is important. That's why I believe studying the Bible and engaging your mind when you do so to the very best of your ability Will lead you to truth and ultimately to the source of truth, God Almighty. Heart, soul, strength, and mind. He loves you, hook, line, and sinker. And He asks you to love Him with every capacity. That you have within you. Don't shut your mind down. In a sermon. In a Sunday school class. When you open up the Bible to study it. Ask hard questions. Think deep thoughts. And you'll find that God. Becomes even more clear. And even more real. The more you search for him, he's there. Let's bow. God, I thank you that you reveal yourself (coughs) so perfectly to us in Scripture. And there is Scripture that we can read as children and understand and apply to our lives. And then we can go back 40 years later and read the same verse and see a new truth in it and discover something that we've never never known before and love you even more. And every verse in the Bible can be like that because it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So help us, Lord, to to take this this good book that you've provided us, this inspired book, and not just read books about it and not just talk about it, but read it and study it and learn from it for ourselves, not just what somebody else might say, but what you have to teach us What you have to show us. What about you, you want us to learn that will deepen our faith and help us walk more closely with you. Father, I know there are folks who have fallen away from the church over time because they got to college and thought they were too smart for the Bible or thought that faith was incompatible with science. But over and over again,